You are listening to the Curiosity Podcast, a podcast aimed at equipping future changemakers with the skills that they need to thrive. We discuss business frameworks, exponential technologies, mental health, and living the life that you want to lead. We release an episode every second Thursday and can be found at curiositypodcast.ca. Hello and welcome back to the Curiosity Podcast. Today we are joined by Michael Gibson. Michael is the co-founder and a general partner at 1517, an early stage venture capital fund that supports teams led by young founders with grant, pre-seed, and seed funding for technology startups. After studying moral and political philosophy at Oxford, Michael was vice president for grants at the Thiel Foundation and a principal at Thiel Capital. While working for Peter Thiel for nearly five years, he has contributed research to Peter's Global Macro Hedge Fund, assisted in teaching a course at Stanford Law School on technological change, and helped run the Thiel Fellowship. Hello, Michael. I am so excited to talk with you today, and thank you so much for taking time out of your day for this conversation. If you want to add anything to that introduction, go ahead um, or just say hi, and then we'll get into a few questions. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. And uh, yeah, that was a long bio, but I think it covers a lot. So <laughs> leave it there. <laughs> Amazing. Um, so the first thing that I just wanted to know a little bit about was the process of co-founding the 1517 Fund and also knowing how there was a gap in the market for this, because it's done exceptionally well. But I'm curious, like, what made you notice this gap with VCs that you thought 1517 could fill? Um, and how did you go about choosing your demographic of dropouts and young founders? Well, yeah, I guess it goes back to the, the first job I had related to this, which was, um, you know, co- sort of uh, helping Peter Thiel start his fellowship. I was there on day one and then uh, co-running that program for five years. Um, so I, you know, Peter hired me to do other stuff. I was there to help as a research analyst on his hedge fund and then also help him teach a class at Stanford Law School. Um, but I showed up to work the first day and the night before he had come up with this idea to give grants out to, uh, students, uh, who wanted to work on startups. Uh, Peter famously invested in, in Facebook. He was the first, uh, check into that company. And when he invested, Mark Zuckerberg was about 20 years old. So I think in, in his mind, there were more people like Zuckerberg out there. And he, he decided he wanted to give grants out instead of making investments, no strings grants out to help people get started. So I was there day one. We launched it my first day of work. I called my parents that night. I thought, oh my God, this is a little crazy. What's tomorrow going to be like? <laughs> Did not anticipate uh, that. And uh, it was during the course of those five years that we just saw some wonderful things come out of that program. Uh, probably the most famous is, is Vitalik Buterin was a Teal Fellow and we first met him or came into contact with him in 2012. And then in 2013, uh, he, uh, we, we met him all five days after he wrote the original Ethereum white paper. We had lunch with Vitalik and uh, awarded him a fellowship that year and helped him launch Ethereum in, in 2013. So, you know, very cool to see stuff like that come out of it. Um, and by 2015, uh, Danielle Strachman, my, my co-founder and colleague at the time, we, we have been thinking, wow, we're giving away these grants. But uh, to be honest, there's a investment thesis here. 
Um, so the Teal Fellowship was $100,000 for two years. Um, it went to 20 people a year. You had to be 19 and under when you applied. And we just thought, wow, there are way more people out, out there than that, that we could be helping. If we started a venture capital fund, we could expand on our efforts and, and really grow them. Uh, so in 2015, we, we pitched investors on, on this idea that we would um, invest in younger first-time entrepreneurs and help them get started. I think what really helped, I mean, at the time, there were not just Vitalik, but some other Teal Fellows, people like Dylan Fields, who founded Figma, or Tesh Agarwal, who founded Oyo Rooms, um, Paul Gu, Upstart. That at the time, you know, the, those companies were still very young, but there was enough of a, a hypothetical track record where we thought, okay, if we had made investments in these in these companies, what would that be worth in 2015? And we convinced investors to back us. And then, uh, so we started 1517 in 2015. And then, uh, yeah, we've been in business for seven years. We love uh, backing people without credentials, people who don't, who shouldn't be doing what they're doing in the eyes of some authority because they lack some certificate. I love that story and it kind of leads right into my next question where you know I was wondering like what it was like to leave the Thiel Foundation and launch the 1517 fund because obviously like it's a big risk to start your own company and it must have been a difficult decision um, and also was there any uncertainty or pushback you faced from others concerning this decision? Yeah that's uh, I mean great questions. Um because it, it, it was a tough fork in the road. Um, let's see, first, we just didn't know if we could convince investors. So we, the first person we pitched was, was Peter. Uh, more or less, we were telling him we were gonna leave our jobs uh, to do this. And uh, you know, we kind of surprised him at a breakfast meeting, telling him that, Danielle and I. And, and he was very supportive, uh, which was a very nice surprise for us. He, uh, we, you know, venture capital funds tend to be like the, the main funds that are very famous and have been around a while. They, they have tens of millions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars under management. Danielle and I were setting out to raise just $10 million, very small amount of money in the world of venture capital, a lot of money to me. <laughs> um, and, and so Peter was our first commit. He said, we should raise more though. We should go for 15. Um, and then once we had Peter's initial commitment, which was 3 million, we had to go out and raise the, the remaining 12. Um, and we just started knocking on doors. We started asking everyone we knew. Uh, we had a lot to learn about that ecosystem of investors who invest in investors. Um, and we just got warm intros. We, it, it was a numbers game. We had to talk to a lot of different people. We got a lot of no's and rejections. A lot of people, I mean, there were a lot, there was a lot going against us. Number one was that um, Danielle and I don't, you know, we're not typical venture capitalists. So it's like normal people in venture capital, either they've been there since the seventies and they're still there now, or they started a company themselves and, and had a massive success. And now that they're older, they want to invest or they went to, you know, Stanford business school, Harvard law school, and now, they're, they, they've worked their way up at one of these old firms. Well, Danielle is a former charter school founder, principal, I'm a dropout academic. And so our background is very unlikely. The next thing is that um, we had no, yeah, no, no track record of success. Um, so, you know, it was hard for us. That, and then the third thing 
thing was that, you know, just given our backgrounds that we're not, you know, engineers or scientists, some people would question our ability to evaluate those ideas if we didn't have an expertise in them. Um, so yeah, you know, a lot of people passed on us. And then the last thing and most important thing would be people just simply wouldn't believe that younger people are capable of starting companies that, that can drive returns and make money. Um, so yeah, we got a lot of no's because of those reasons. Uh, fortunately, we, we met enough people though, where we, we raised $20 million in our first fund and, uh, and we were in business. Um, so, so that, that was the hard part on the personal side. Yeah. It's like the rest of the world still thinks we're crazy. It's, it's interesting to me. It's like, um, you know, people will, they just don't believe that it's possible that we could be making investments in people without degrees or younger people and, and, and drive and make these returns that we make. Uh, uh, you know, even if we tell them that we've, you know, cause we Danielle, we've returned over $200 million to our investors. That's quite extraordinary. And, um, you know, even if we tell people that they'll just say, oh, well, you got lucky or, oh, you know, there's always some reason why uh, what we're doing, uh, you know, was, was not, is, is not a reasonable strategy. The probably the, the most prominent, like usual take against us is something like uh, Elizabeth Holmes and, and Theranos. So people are quick to point out that she was 19 or 20 when she started the company, she dropped out of Stanford. The name of the uh, TV show that, that was on HBO is called The Dropout. Um, so people are like, oh, well, you know, I think, it, you know, Theranos failed and she was a fraud in part because she was a dropout. And, you know, I, 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 I don't know what the rate is. I, it's a hard to make comparisons, but I know a lot of graduates of Harvard who have committed fraud and other crimes and so on. I don't think having a college degree makes you a better person necessarily. Um, and if they want to keep believing that what we do is impossible, go for it. And we'll just keep doing our jobs. Well, I love that. And I think, you know, the odds were definitely against you in some ways. And you guys have definitely both created something that is doing amazing and also just has this incredible cause of helping young people pursue their dreams. And it sounds like you and Danielle are both very like driven by the same cause and like minded mm -hmm. in what you wanted to pursue. So how did you know it was the right decision to like go into business with Danielle? Because I know co-founders, that's a really big decision and it can be a make or break decision for companies. If you're going to business yeah. with someone who like you don't have the same beliefs or right. hopes or ambitions as then, you know, that could not go as well. So what was that process? Um, and also like what advice would you give to someone thinking about if they should go into business with somebody else. Hmm. Well, yeah, I guess I, it helped that we were sort of thrown together in 2010 to work on the Teal Fellowship. I think on day one, it was clear at that time that we shared a lot of values. Our, our philosophical backgrounds were, were very strongly aligned. And by that, I mean, Danielle's charter school was always oriented towards giving students as much autonomy as possible. Um, to project-based learning. Uh, she's worked a lot with the homeschooling communities and has really come to believe in, in a non-coercive education, you know, really starting where children are at, trying to understand their curiosity and interests and, and enabling them to pursue that. And in my academic philosophy, I was always drawn to, you know, theories of liberty and freedom. 
and increasing, you know, our ability to realize our, our capacities. Um, so on day one, you know, the, that kind of alignment was, was pretty strong. And over the five years that we worked together on the Teal Fellowship, we really uh, gelled as a team because I think, you know, she has skills and, and abilities that I don't have and vice versa. And so we're able to balance each other out in a way where the, the whole is worth more than the sum of its parts. You know, on Danielle's side, I think our job requires a lot of uh, a lot of trust building, a lot of character evaluation when we work with founders, uh, you know, really understanding where they're coming from and why they're doing what they're doing. Uh, Danielle is just really personable and has a great uh, eye for, for uh, reading people and, and developing a rapport with them. I, I tend to be way more analytical. I tend to um, be more interested in, in research and how an idea fits into a larger context. And so together, it's like we, we fit together because she's great at evaluating a team and I can sort of put into context where they're at and what they're doing. Uh, and I think as, as, as a duo, that, that makes for a real strong, strong teamwork. Um, I, I, we, we work together that way so closely now that it makes me wonder how other investors work alone at all. It's like, I, you know, because we're, we're stronger as, as two with these two different perspectives, I think that just adds a lot of, uh, a lot of power to our evaluations than the otherwise would have. So, so, but yeah, in 2015, we, we had already, yeah, it's like, we got along well and worked well together. And then when we started the fund, it was, it was just clear that this sort of uh, competitive advantage we had as a team was just really strong and, and we're, you know, we're friends and we just get a kick out of, you know, working together and stuff like that. So um, yeah, it's been great. I get, you know, we've been working together for 12 years now and it's one of the, you know, strongest and, and deepest relationships I've had in any capacity in my life. And, and, and that's been just so fulfilling. Well, that sounds like an absolute power duo. And it definitely sounds like you have like strengths that play into one another. And so that mm -hmm. is great to hear about. And um, our audience, like for this podcast is mainly younger people, like in mm -hmm. high school or maybe starting university who maybe want to, you know, start their own company down the line in the near future. So if you were to give three points of success criteria for aspiring young entrepreneurs wanting to build a profitable and meaningful company, what would they be? Okay, gotcha. Yeah, so we, it's hard to know how to find good ideas. I mean, that, that takes creativity. And um, I do think there are problems out in the world that are pretty clear in terms of if you can solve them, then, you know, that'll be a, a great benefit to humanity. So for example, something like that could be ending cancer, you know, curing cancer or energy, clean energy creation. And then there are subfields within that. So it could be fusion energy, it could be nuclear energy, it could be wind and solar and some of the problems there, right? So there, there are problems out there. Um, but I always start with the team. I think that's our approach is to, you know, really, uh, it, it is so hard to start a company, nurture it, cultivate it and grow it so that it's a, a business and then turn that into an even bigger business. There are just so many ups and downs and twists and turns that um, the, the team is the most important part because it's like we've seen companies change the product they're making. Um, so I think, you know, when you're starting out in your 
in your life and you're thinking about being entrepreneurial, I think that that you the hanging out with the types of people who might want to do this with you is probably number one in terms of of just getting started and and thinking about things. I think how, you know doing stuff with your friends or people that you've known under other auspices. So it could be people you've uh, you know, been in classes with or gone to camp with, or, you know, maybe they're even best friends. There's just something about doing it together as a team like that, where, you know, the strength of your friendship will, will pull you through those dark nights of the soul that are just so, so scary at times when you, when you first get going. Um, and then, and then the, you know, when we're evaluating an idea, it's like, um, the, the current state of the product is the least important thing. So don't worry about like when you get started or as you're thinking about things like, oh, I can't exactly perfect whatever I'm going to do right now. But the, the middle, the, the next thing that could be important to think about is that is the potential of the idea. Like what, what are the consequences if you pull this off? Um, and, and that sort of ties into those clear problems I was talking about before, where if you, if, if you have a team and you're really jazzed about some issue, and you solve this problem and it's gonna you know, save a lot of people pain or make their lives better, then, then I think that that's the direction you wanna move in and, and sort of orient your, direct, your education around is, is learning about it more, learning the skills you need in order to, to solve the problem that you're attempting to solve and that kind of stuff. I know that's kind of general, but that would be my, my take on that. No, yeah, that's a great answer. Um, and I think like building on that, there are a lot of growing fields right now, like blockchain, mm. AI, fusion, solar, a mm. lot is going on right now. Um, and like, especially in high school, it's a really great time to start compounding skills. Like you were mentioning, mm -hmm. like starting to do this research, starting to yeah. get skill sets like coding, because now like there's so much time to do that. So I was wondering, are there any specific areas of technology that 1517 is actively looking to grow investment within currently? And is this something that kind of changes on like a month to month basis? Or is it just in general, you're just looking for something that's impactful and, you know, matches some some other criteria yeah. of, yeah. Yeah, we, we believe in, we say who over what, meaning I wanna meet mm -hmm. someone who takes me to the frontier of, of knowledge in a field. Vitalik Buterin fit that example well, where there weren't a lot of people thinking about, I mean, there was Bitcoin. Bitcoin had been around for four years at that point, but you know, there weren't a lot of people thinking about the blockchain itself and how it might be repurposed towards other things. And, and I didn't know a lot about it, but when we met him, he brought us to the frontier in that field. Um, so, so that happens a lot to us. So we have to be prepared for the unexpected, meaning you know, someone's gonna surprise us with, with where they take us. And, and then what's more is we don't wanna be it's like there are these fads that turn into manias and it could be like web three or um, you know something else you know a few years ago maybe ai was more so um and and we just try to evaluate ideas uh independently of what's happening in the world now all of that said i i think it is fair to say that i mentioned energy creation clean energy creation i think anything in that space could be exciting so long as it solves some of the problems for wind and solar, for instance, one of the biggest issues is just the, the power density. It takes an enormous field of solar panels to generate 
energy that is on, on the level of some of the other dirtier sources. Um, and then what's more, there's this intermittency problem. So, you know, it's not always sunny. Uh, some countries are located in regions like in the Northern hemisphere or closer to Antarctica where it's not as sunny or seasonal issues. Um, so there, there are a lot of problems in any of these fields and we could go through each you know, method of, of creating energy. And it's like, there are all these unresolved problems. Okay, so energy creation is one. Health, lots of unsolved problems here. Uh, cutting edge research in, you know, there's a science that's developing in understanding how we age as organisms. Because if you look at the animal kingdom, it's quite apparent that different animals live on average um, for different spans of time. So there are turtles that live to 170, 180. Uh, we live to, you know, in a, in a, a developed world nation on average, somewhere between 70 and 80 years. And, and then there are, you know, fruit flies like, you know, last a day. And so there's this research area understanding why we age. So that would, you know, there are nine different hallmarks of aging are, <laughs> and we could go into each one of those. And each one has some, uh, you know, another complex set of unsolved problems. Would love to dig into that. Uh, obviously cancer, anything related to the mind. One of the really shocking ones to me is, is, is diet. Is, is, you know, there's no consensus on, you know, what, uh, what leads people to gain weight and then makes them at risk for, for something like diabetes. I mean, it looks like sugar is one of the main culprits. But then we all know that lucky person who can live on, you know, ice cream and candy and, and so on and doesn't seem to develop any of these issues. So, uh, you know, it could be health, it could be transportation, it could be, um, it could be a lot of things. I just, I, it, when, I, when I go through the types of uh, industries that could really benefit humanity, it's like then I see tons and tons of unsolved problems. And if I was younger, I would, I would wanna focus on one of those and just really get out to the frontier or work with other people for trying to advance that frontier. Um, you know, I don't, I could keep rambling on this, but, but they're not trends we're looking for as a fund. I just, I just think for younger people, it's pretty rare. It's like assumed in our educational system that you can only go out to the frontier of knowledge in a field once you've earned the right to do so. So you got to finish your undergrad, you got to go to grad school, and then maybe, you know, post your PhD, you'll be able to make a contribution. But I, I think this has it exactly backward. I encourage younger people to just try to find the edge of knowledge as fast as possible. You don't have to learn everything that came before to understand the current state of things in a subject. Just dive in right away to the hardest stuff and, and you'll be surprised how, how much you'll learn and, and how far you'll get. I think that's a really great point, especially because you know, even looking at now versus like 20 years ago, there is so much available on the internet. So if you really want to go deep yeah. into something in high school, you can do that because there are so many resources to learn. And there's also like so many people that you can reach out to even through like platforms like LinkedIn now, it, it's really, a, it, it's a great opportunity to be able to learn about a specific field and go deep into something if you want to because of how much is accessible. Uh, yeah, with I, and, and if I were on campus and in, in universities and, and maybe to some degree at high schools, I think, you know, the coursework is one thing, but one, another recommendation I'd have is to find faculty working on some of these issues. And they love talking to people who are interested. 
and in what they're doing. So it's like you don't have to be in a class to reach out to an expert in the field. They're often very excited to tell people about what they're working on. And you, and you might be surprised what you learn there, too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yes, I, I'm really happy you brought that up because I think that's something that's definitely super important to understand, especially for the demographic of this podcast. Um, now, our last question for you is something I'm also just very curious about um, because I feel like you must have to do a lot in your role and it's kind of an unconventional role um, that some people may not understand what that actually looks like. So can you walk us through a day in the life? Okay, yeah, sure. Um... I guess what's not, you know, what comes and goes is we love to meet people sort of where they're at. And that could, and I mean that geographically. So, you know, pre-COVID and now that the world's opening up, we're doing this more. I'm in San Diego, for instance, now. Um, we, we visit campuses. We, we visit organizations. We love talking to people. We'll often do uh, office hour style meetups at, at cafes. And so some of our days are on the road, just talking to people, hearing their ideas, giving them advice. That could be a stack of, of meetings at a, at a cafe, um, or it could be over Zoom nowadays, and, and just really hearing uh, what's going on. Let's say uh, it's not one of those travel days. Um, you know, a couple times a week, we have a team meeting. Me, so there's Danielle. We have two other uh, people who are evaluating deals and, and, and searching for people is Zach, our, Zach Slayback and Nick Garnett. Uh, we have a new chief of staff who helps us organize things. Her name's Haley Johnson. So a few times a week, we'll, we'll meet together and, and discuss what's happening. And then, um, yeah, the rest of our day could be full of uh, meetings with companies. We hear a number of pitches every week. Uh, those meetings um, could be an hour long and then you know we'll hear the full pitch. We'll uh, talk to people about our evaluation process, and then uh, we'll follow up with them. Let's say we decide we want to investigate that pitch more, you know, the company. Uh, so some of the week and the meetings is taken up with diligence, which would be doing research on the company and the area they're working in, talking to experts who can help us value, evaluate the idea. Um, and then sometimes our week, so I mentioned that we have to raise money from investors so we do, we do have another side of our business where we're talking to our investors, giving them updates about what's going on and, um, and, and planning for the future there. So, you know, <clears throat> it is a lot. Our days are generally full of, uh, of meeting a lot of people. I'm not an extrovert at heart. So I, I do find some days I, I'm just totally burned out. But, uh, but I do love the, the part that, that jazzes me most is just meeting exciting people like yourself and everyone who listens to your podcast where, you know, I, I bet you have crazy ideas or some, something you're passionate about and I get to hear about it. So that, that, that really gets me up in the morning and excited. I love that. Um, and I think your lifestyle definitely sounds super busy, but it sounds like very, very fulfilling and interesting, yeah. like something is going on every day. So that is Absolutely. great to hear. Um, and this was such an incredible conversation, but before we close off, we always love to get three action items from you for our listeners based okay. on what we talked about. So do you have any action items for our listeners today? Uh, first would be, feel free to reach out if, if you have ideas you want to discuss or you're looking for advice. We have a contact 
form on our website. Uh, it's easy to fill out. If not, you can always reach out to me. I'm Michael at 1517fund.com. We try to be as accessible as possible. Uh, the next thing would be to join our community. We're always looking for, that's just through our contact form. We have events uh, that we, um, next week we're having our, our summit. It's the first time post COVID we're getting a lot of people together here in San Diego. That should be fun. Um, I would love to have your listeners participate. It's younger people like themselves, a lot of hackers and makers who get together uh, to discuss things. We have a virtual community too. Um, the next thing would be to, you know, just really uh, learn from your peers. I think if you ask people and they're interested in, in the same subject you are, they often know other people that you should know. Don't hesitate to, to talk to, you know, always, always be on the lookout for someone who might know someone else or maybe tell you a book to read or movie to watch something like that you'll be surprised uh just it's like swinging behind the vine and all of a sudden you, you're into some really cool territory uh so that's generally my advice if anything in what i've said interests you at all i uh wrote a book this year that takes readers behind the scenes of what we do at 1517 uh i thought it was interesting you know there are a lot of books about startups out there but none really about venture capital and i thought it'd be fun to tell our story why we do what we do, and then um, and, and, and how that relates to bigger issues like you know some of the problems in higher education, let's say. So the name of my book is Paper Belt on Fire. Uh, you can pre-order it on Amazon. Uh, so <laughs> that would be my last spiel there, just pushing that out there. But but I think your readers might find it uh, enjoyable if they like this you know this interview. <laughs> No, that sounds like a great book. I'll put that in the description of the episode as well. It's definitely something I'm going to check out as okay, well. Yeah. Um, but thank you so much for your time again. Um, I know yeah, I learned a lot from this conversation. Uh, so yeah, thank you so much. Okay.